begin with prayer. And so, Father, we ask you to open up our hands and we joyfully, willingly open our hands so that all that we are and all that we have, it's yours, God. And the things we don't willingly give up, would you graciously take them and open us up and open and unpry our hands, God, so that we cling to nothing but Jesus, so that we cling to nothing, Father. We let nothing take our gaze off the beauty of Jesus. We let nothing get in the way of following after you. We let nothing take your place. God, would you do that? Would you open our hands? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, leading up to this message, just the statement that has been on my heart is, I want more in 2017. I want more spiritually in 2017. I don't want more stuff. I got plenty. I want more Jesus. I want more spiritually in 2017. I want more for my own life, my own spiritual life. I want more for my marriage. I want more for my parenting. I want more for my kids. I want more for you in 2017. I want more for your family in 2017. I want more for us as a church. I hope you do too. I want more for the lost of our community from us in 2017. I hope you do too. And if you do, if not, I pray God would make you. But if you do want more, this passage tells us how to gain it. It tells us how to pursue it. And I hope that it won't just stop today. I hope that you'll actually use this passage, maybe even throughout the month, to meditate on it because it says so much more than I'm going to get to say today. But if we want more, more Jesus throughout our lives and our community, this passage is a beginning of that pursuit. So let's look at it. We're going to look at Isaiah 58, 6 through 12. We're going to do a little interspersing of looking back and looking forward and, and talking about fasting also. But Isaiah 58, 6 through 12. Coming out of 1 through 5, it's the fast God didn't choose. It's the fast where we do all this religious, good, righteous stuff and we look good on the outside, but we treat people like blank. You know what? We, we don't care how we treat people. We don't care how we look down on them. We don't care how we oppress them. We don't care how uh, we treat them. But as long as we look religiously good, we're fine. Why doesn't God hear us? Why doesn't God do anything in our lives? Why doesn't God do anything in our churches while we live however we want behind the plastic religious veneer? And he said, I don't want anything to do with that. I won't hear you. And then in this passage, he switches it and then says, but here's the one I will hear. Here's what I will listen to. Look at that in verses 6 through 12. Is this not the fast that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then... Shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. 
and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light Rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters will never fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The image that just popped off the page at me as I was preparing this. Scorched earth desert, watered garden. You can be a watered garden in the middle of the desert. Your family can be a watered garden in the middle of the desert. Our, this church that God's entrusted to us to be part of can be a watered garden in the midst of the desert. What beautiful imagery. Isaiah is known for that. He's great at it. So what is this thing, fasting? Why do we fast? It's not so that we can get something out of God, like I can rub the lamp of genie God a little better and he'll give me what I want. It's not that. So I would say it's twofold. It is to enhance our desire for God, or it is to cultivate a desire for God. So it is either I have this desire for God that is so overwhelming in the moment that it erases my desire for food. Or, as I suspect the case with many of us, our desire for God has become so weak because our desire for the stuff of this world and the people of this world has become so strong that our desires for God have nearly been erased. And fasting is a reset button that calls us back to cultivate a desire for God that has nearly been extinguished. Here's what John Piper says in his book on hungering for God. Fasting is hunger, is the hunger of homesickness for God. And he says this, it's half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because our homesickness for God is so intense. Get that? It's the cult, or it's the enhancing of a desire that's already so strong. Don't you hear the second half of it? The other half is that our homesickness for God is threatened. Because our physical appetites have become so intense. I want a little red one to pop up on my Facebook app more than I want to gaze on the beauty of Jesus. I want my family's comfort, safety, and security more than I want Jesus. I want my kids to be so great at sports more than I want to gaze on the beauty of Jesus. I want my career to advance more than I want the beauty of Jesus. I want to gaze on success, however that's defined in my life, more than I want to gaze on Jesus. And so I must fast because my appetites for this world are so intense that it destroys and threatens and wars against my desire for Jesus in my life. And so we fast. We fast because we have Jesus in rich fullness and we want more, or we fast because there is a threat to our desire for Jesus that nearly has extinguished it. And we fast to recultivate it, to refan the flame. And so as a church, we are bringing ourselves to a time of fasting for just this purpose. Maybe you're in a rich season with Jesus. I hope you are. Fast and set it ablaze. Or maybe you're in a time where your desires for Jesus become so weak, so crowded out, so distracted, so busied out of your life. This time of prayer and fasting is going to be used to do something in you to rekindle what is almost extinguished. That's why we fast. 
That's why we fast. We don't get some good thing. It's like not eating doesn't earn something from God. It expresses something about where we are. It expresses it tangibly and physically. We want more. More than a steak, we want you. More than any physical appetite, we want you. And so fasting restores our longings for God. Now, it will not do that because you do it. It will do it because of the heart posture and the seeking that is attached to it. Second, how do we fast? Most simply, fasting is abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. All right, this is not a political purpose. It is not, I need to lose a few weight after the holidays purpose. It is not a health purpose and a cleanse. It is for specific spiritual pursuit. That's why we fast. We abstain for spiritual purposes. And so depending on the length of your fast, you may do a water-only fast where you just drink water for you know, a day or so. If it's going to be a little bit longer, you may do a water and juice fast. If God calls you to an even longer fast, you may just do a liquid diet fast. But that's something you need to work out with God because the, the, the technicalities of it aren't nearly as important as the heart behind it. And so that's kind of the basics of, of how. It includes, though, a heightened seeking of God. So it's not just, okay, I'm going to not eat today and I'm going to grit my teeth and get through it. So I'm going to not eat for the spiritual purpose of heightening my seeking of God. So I am going to get up in the morning maybe and listen to some praise and worship and do some singing, even if people think you're crazy in the house. Or I'm going to spend some extra time in the Word and prayer, get up a little bit earlier. I'm going to take, if I have an hour during the day, if you get a lunch break, you're going to go and you're going to pray. And you're going to get into the Word. Or you're going to set that time out when you get home to do it. Or after the kids are in bed, you're going to find a dedicated time to pursue the Lord passionately. It's not just not eating. It's fasting and seeking, fasting and praying, fasting and yearning, fasting and aching as you pursue Jesus. And then... I would also say all of us need this. You need this. Teenagers, I'm going to go ahead and say it. You need this. Desperately you need this. I need this. Accompany your fast with an extended media fast. <gasps> I've already taken the Facebook app off my phone to be part of this. And the funny thing is, is it wouldn't let me take it off. It will only let me turn it off. Isn't that crazy? Because it wants to capture me and it wants to capture you. Twitter, Instagram, they want to capture you. TV shows want to capture you. They want to steal the gaze of your heart. And I promise you, it already has you. I promise you, it already has you unless you've done this. And so would you also do a media purge in your life for a period of time? And guess what? You'll survive. Guess what? The world will not have passed you by. And what is really meaningful about your life will not be gone because you didn't see how many likes you had over the course of a week and you didn't throw up some cool image of yourself that really wasn't that cool, but you got to take a picture in one little cool moment to make it seem like it was. Your identity is not built on your social appearance. And that's what the fast may call you back to. And so that's what we're challenging each of us to do. What are we asking of you? We're asking at least one 24-hour fast over the coming month. Meaning you will eat dinner and you will not eat after dinner. And then you'll fast through the day, and then you'll eat your next dinner. So about 24 hours. And during that 24 hours, we're asking you to have at least one hour of prayer. I can't do that. Yes, you can. I can't do that. You can't set your alarm a little earlier. I can't do that. You can't turn off the show for a minute. I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can. I can. Do I want to? If I don't, 
What is it saying to me? So that's what we're asking, a 24-hour fast with at least an hour built in in prayer that we'd encourage you to structure your day that way. Wake up and prepare your heart and sing and worship and read. We'd encourage you to take that middle portion of the day, if you have any of it at all, fast, read, pray. We'd encourage you to have a nighttime, something set apart for reflection. And then I would just challenge every one of you, because the more your heart wars against the statement, the more you need it. Put a media fast beside it. Put a longer media fast than the food fast beside it. I promise you we need it. And I promise you, the more you do it, the more you'll see how much your heart was captured by it. So that's how, and that's what we're asking. There's some other information in your bulletin about how to do it. Um, but that's what we're asking of you. And we're asking you not to leave until you've, if you're medically possible, don't leave until you've taken one of the dates. We want to cover at least every date, and we'd love to have multiple people every single day. So sign up on your way out and take part in that fast. And then, you know, again... If you can't medically do it or on top of doing it, there may be other things you want to put into your life over this month to really seek the Lord more intentionally. So that's what we're asking. Let's look at the passage as we move on. Fasting for more of Jesus in our lives and our community. Fasting for more of Jesus in our lives and in our community. So take time to look back and take time to long forward. New Year's is one of those times I really enjoy. Things slow down a little bit that last week of the year. And there's some built-in time for reflection there, isn't there? If you'll take it. If you'll stop and look back and say, what, did, what was it about this year? What are some joys to celebrate? What are some sorrows to grieve? What are some failures to repent of? What is it about my life that Jesus does not desire to be there? And then looking forward and longing and desiring forward, what is it that Jesus desires to do in my life by his grace this year? What do I yearn for God to change, grow, adjust, challenge inside of me this year? It's such a great time for reflection that we so rarely do. And so let's take a minute to look back and let's take a minute to long forward. And so just take a few minutes to think about us as a church. It's been a really encouraging 2016. I hope it has been for you. We've seen God bring uh, a number of people here. We've seen God bring a a good number of students here. It's just added an energy and excitement. We've seen God bless us financially to do some things in missions and to do some things uh, um, around the buildings that we have to do. It's just been a really encouraging year. But I want to focus on one ministry team in in specific that all the others have also been supplementing. Throughout the year, we built the year a certain way. And as we look back on it, it it makes so much sense. We built the year to begin with prayer and, and the Word. I mean... Yeah, being in the Word and prayer. Meaningful time in the Word, meaningful time in prayer. And so I think what I would say is this. There's something broken in our relationship with Jesus if the Word isn't part of our most days daily experience. There's something very broken in our relationship with Jesus if prayer is not a most days daily meaningful part of our experience. There's something broken. We are immature in serious ways if the word and prayer are not part of our lives. And it doesn't matter if you teach or if you deek or if you usher or greet or sit here or do Sunday school or whatever else. If, if, it doesn't matter what service you do. If the word and prayer aren't part of your life, there's something immature there. And I don't say that to condemn you or to condemn me. I say that to unearth the soil of our hearts, to let God do something about it. There's something... Broken, And so we can't have maturity without the word and prayer. Now, we can have the word and prayer without maturity, but we can't have maturity without it. And so it started there. How do we get spiritually healthy? We ask you to open up your word and see God there. 
Not check off a checklist. I read my chapter today. But what is God like? What has God done? Who is he? What is the gospel? What has the gospel done in my life? Who am I? Show me in the mirror. Who am I that encourages me? Who am I that challenges me? Who am I that rebukes me? Who am I that corrects me? Who are you, God? And they'll accompany that with prayer. Do you have any longings for the face of God? Do you seek the face of God? Do I yearn to be in the presence of God? Am I pursuing Him? Am I praying to Him? Am I anticipating Him? Am I aching for Him? Am I longing for Him? If not, God, would you do that in us? Let's fast to reset the button. God, I don't want you near enough. Would you come and give me a desire again? Spiritually healthy people is what we started with. And then in community, deeper with one. You see, as long as we remain at a comfortable, safe distance from each other, there'll be a huge hole in our Christianity. As long as my heart remains defensively postured with walls around it that you can't get into, there will be a hole in our faith. Because there is relationships are God's tool of change in our lives. And if we don't have relationships that uncover our heart and place the gospel there and help us see Jesus, there will be something lacking in us. So we must do this in community. Spiritually healthy people in community. And then looking forward to 2017, our entire year's focus will be on mission. You see, because if you're in community and not on mission, you're unhealthy. I'm unhealthy. If you're in the Word every single day, and you're praying every single day, and it doesn't lead to mission, we're not healthy. We're not nearly as mature as we think we are. I'm not as mature as I think I am. If mission, if, if health, spiritual health and community don't lead to missions, we're not near as healthy as we think we are. And that's what 2017 is going to be about. And, get, and how are we going to do it? I have no clue. I have no clue. I know it isn't going to look like, hey, let me invite you to church so my pastor can handle this. No. I know it isn't going to look like, let's just go do service project, service project, service project with not engaging people with the gospel, without sharing about Jesus, without trying to make disciples, but we sure do feel good about it. Nothing wrong with service projects, don't get me wrong. But it's not going to be that, that we just get busy and we just do stuff and we leave the gospel out and call it mission. So what's it going to look like? I don't know. What I do know is that we are desperately needy in this moment. For God to do something in us, because if God doesn't do something in us, all our programs and all our trials and our crusades and all our efforts and all our programs are going to accomplish zero. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So whatever it looks like, I know we need God. Whatever it looks like, I know we need a movement of the Spirit across us as a church. I know whatever it means, it means God doing something inside of us. Because if he doesn't do something inside of us, nothing outside of us is going to happen, work, or change. He's going to have to do something in us. So we fast. And we pray. And we long. And we seek. And we beg until he gives it to us. He's not begrudgingly holding on to it. He's asking, do you want it enough to come get it? God does not begrudge to give good gifts to his children, but there are gifts he won't give to his children who aren't willing to go get it from him. And they'll say, yes, of course. I yearn for that that too. And so we take time to look back. We take time to look forward. Are we healthy people? Let's fast so that the word and prayer become meaningful daily parts of our lives again. Are we in community? Have you uncovered your heart to another believer and asked them to speak Jesus and gospel into it? In community. And now, 
how do we get on mission together? Healthy people in community on mission. I'm asking you to reapply yourself to that. I'm asking you to reapply yourself to that. You read Acts 1 today and you are batting 1,000% for the reading plan this year. You ask a couple of questions along with it and you're batting 1,000%. You're acing the test. I'm just asking you to reapply yourself to that. I'm re- asking you to reapply yourself to pursuing genuine community with another believer or a couple of other believers. And I'm asking you to start tearing off the layers of defensive barriers in your heart so that they can see what's there. And then hopefully it will free them up to, let them, to uncover themselves and you see what's there. And when you see it, how do you speak Jesus to it? Not condemnation. So we fast that our indifference will end and chains will fall and people will go free. We fast that our indifference will end, chains will fall, and people will go free. We get stuck in a place of such indifference, don't we? We have a thousand appetites for anything but God, don't we? A thousand longings and a thousand desires and a thousand appetites for perfectly innocent things in and of themselves. I hope yours aren't drastically sinful. They're just normal, ordinary, good, fine and of themselves things that have captured your heart. And we're indifferent. We sing about Jesus every week. Eh. We talk about the riches of the gospel every week. Eh. There's an eternity we're living for that God has prepared for all who love him. Eh, that's good. We hear things about Aleppo, Syria. That's a shame. We hear things like there's two to three billion people with zero access to the gospel. Not one, while we pass 20 churches on the way here. That's okay. Eh. We fast so that the indifference of eh is broken out of our lives and melted by the glory of God shining on us. Where we cannot stand for that to be true anymore. I can't stand that I can sing about Jesus and feel nothing for Jesus. I can't stand that I can sit through Sunday school lessons about the Word of God that is living and active, sharpening the two-edged sword, and I don't care. And so I fast until that is gone and that is destroyed and a fresh passion and desire for Him has been unleashed and that a fresh desire and passion for Him has been unleashed, a fresh concern for the world is unleashed as well. A world that is lost spiritually and a world that is broken physically. And if we can get to a place we don't care about that stuff, then we've gotten to a place where the gospel, or we have hardened our hearts to the gospel. And we fast so that our hearts are broken back open and indifference is melted away. And a desire for God and an ache for God that expresses itself in an ache for the world and an ache for our family. Is brought into its place. Let's look at the first part of this text. I, I hope that one day we'll get back into this text a little more in depth. I just am going to be able to hit a few things today. But fasting attacks affliction, and it attacks our indifference to affliction. So let's get it in these first few verses. Verse 6. Is this not the fast that I chose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke. For six ver- or five verses, he's told us, this is a fast I will not listen to. I will not listen to your religious rituals apart from a righteous living. And so it takes the fast and it makes it a holistic picture. Yes, there is a discipline and a ritual called fasting. I want you to do it. And there's a heart behind that of humility. I want you to have it. But don't you dare do that unless you're willing for your life to be adjusted and changed to obedience. And so fasting is not merely, let's go do this. I won't eat and God will bless me. No. 
It's I won't eat and God will bless me because I have a heart of humility that desires him even when I don't desire him enough. And it works itself out into a life that desires to be changed, to reflect him into the world better. And so look at that as he does it in verse uh, 5. To loose the bonds of wickedness. I'm fasting, why don't you hear me? Because you're beating your servants in the field or you're holding their wages back or you're oppressing them. You're treating people like garbage and you think I'm going to hear you because you do some religious activity? No. Fasting loosens the bonds of wickedness that are in here first. Fasting wars against the sin of your heart and the sin of my heart. Fasting wars against the strongholds of wickedness that still reside in our flesh and are able to get comfortable there because we found a way for them to be comfortable and look okay to the world around us. And fasting comes in and just explodes that with the arsenal of God's grace, not His judgment. We fast so that the bonds of wickedness, and that's what Romans 6 talks about, is we are slaves to sin until the gospel comes. Sin has an enslaving, mastering effect on people. And as people who have been set free by the gospel, the bonds, the residual bonds of sin can be broken out of our lives. But it's not just ours. There's a lost world trapped in the bonds of wickedness. They are slaves to sin, Romans 6 tells us. They have no choice otherwise. They are under a master who will destroy their lives now, who will destroy their families now, and will destroy their eternity. People are trapped in sin, whether they know it or not. They may be loving it, but they are being destroyed and mastered by sin. And we fast to break the bonds of wickedness in our life. And we fast so that when that happens, the, the gospel will break the bonds of wickedness out of the lives of people. And they will be set free. To unstrap the yoke, the yoke would be what binds oxen together for their work. To unstrap from them the chains of the yoke so that they can be free. To take oppression out of their lives spiritually. But don't neglect this to also take oppression out of their lives spiritually. I mean physically. It is both a spiritual freedom and a physical freedom the gospel calls us to fight for. And we can't neglect one, but we certainly can't neglect the other either. And so we break the chains of, uh, of wickedness. We undo the straps of the yoke. The oppressed go free. And then he talks about some really practical things to do with the, the poor. What I think he's talking about is I'm going to afflict my, my... In my comfort, I'm going to afflict myself. And then I'm going to prepare a feast for the homeless poor around me. So that in my affliction, they are fed. In my affliction, they are feasting. So that those who are afflicted get to feast, while I who feast get to be afflicted. It's identifying myself with them. And so, it is both a spiritual setting free and a physical alleviation to the degree the gospel uh, moves and allows us of people. So the fast that God chooses is both a, a discipline that we enact and it is a lifestyle that accompanies it. And when those are in place, or the desire for those are in place, it's the fast God chooses and the next one we're going to see when he chooses a fast like this, what he'll do. What are the results? What are the accomplishments? Let's look at it. Fast that we might find boldness, flourishing, and restoration. Again, you don't fast to manipulate something out of God. I'm not earning anything from God because I don't eat for a day. I'm not earning anything from God because I turn off my media for a minute or two. But I fast expecting God to work. I do fast on purpose, a purpose that I want God to do in my own life and a purpose that I want God to do through my life and through the church into the world. 
So it's not absent purpose. There is a purpose. And so we can fast for people in our circle. We can fast for the lostness of our community. We can fast for the oppression of our community. And you'll find in your prayer, God, that's what it's focused on, is God do something in me, and then God do something in the world around me. And so we fast to receive the fullness of what God desires for us. And that fullness may mean that we're sitting in the middle of a desert that doesn't go away, but I'm watered in the middle of a desert that doesn't go away. I may be sitting in the middle of darkness that doesn't change, but light will rise in the middle of my darkness. Let's look at it as we look at the results. It's just filled with God unleashing answers and revival and power and help and life. We're just seeing that happen. Look at this. Uh, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your real guard. If you fast like this, salvation will visit you. Do you see that? The imagery of salvation is what's used here. The imagery of Messiah coming is what's used here. Throughout Isaiah, light coming is Messiah coming. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, like Simeon talked about, is the light that Isaiah has spoken about throughout the book so far. And it's the imagery used when, when, when Jesus comes in John. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. That's the imagery of salvation. And so when you fast like this, salvation comes, deliverance comes, the reminder of the gospel comes, and when it comes, it heals. The Jewish people at this time were anemic and spiritually bankrupt, and they were a, a, in, in moral terms, they were a trashed nation. But if they'll fast like this instead of their religious fast, God will heal them. And if we will fast like this, God will heal us. It doesn't mean physically. He will heal us as a people. He will take away our spiritual anemia. If we'll fast like this. And then he goes on and he says, when, when you cry, I'm going to hear you. In 1 through 5, I'm not listening. But in 6 and 7 and 8, and then comes to 9, then I shall, you shall call and I will answer. You'll say, you'll, you'll, you'll cry out and I'll just say, here I am. And I'll take away your yoke from the midst. And then look at this in verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry. Do you know what that means? If you'll give your soul to the hungry. See, the poor aren't your project to go step into, rub a little bit of your you know, food or something on them, and then walk back as if you don't have to give your soul. The poor are people. The oppressed are people. The afflicted are people. And we don't get to let people be our projects. We give our souls over to people. And we give our souls to people, and we quit mocking and oppressing with our finger and speaking wickedness with our lips. We quit doing that, church. Look what will happen. The Lord will guide you continually. Light will rise in the darkness and your gloom, your gloom will be as at noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy you in scorched places and you shall be like a watered garden. And your generations will have a foundation built for them. Not just you, your generations. This says nothing about necessarily our impact on the world, though the light that's come to us is also the light that goes out from us to dispel gloom. What God does in us, He wants to do through us, yes. But if nothing in your life changes, no circumstance changes, nothing in our community changes at all, I'll satisfy you in the scorched places. If nothing changes in the world around us, if nothing changes in our circumstances, I'll water you like a garden. And you'll be Eden in the midst of the curse. You'll be light in the midst of darkness. And if that happens, 
Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you'll raise up the foundation of many generations. You'll be called the restorer of the breach. God will rebuild the walls that have tumbled down. He'll rebuild the walls of your family that have crumbled. He'll rebuild the walls of our lives that have crumbled. He'll rebuild the walls of the church that have crumbled. And for generations, for generations, he will bring a foundation of restoration. I'd be okay if that happened. How about you? I'd be okay if I got to be a rich, lavish, watered garden, no matter what goes on around me. Be okay if we as a church were known to be a light no matter what darkness surrounds us. If we were known that if you go to Fletcher and if you meet Fletcher's people, not the building, not the gathering, if you go, if you meet Fletcher's people, you're going to find water for your soul no matter how dry it is. You're going to find life. You're going to find light there. Love to be known for that. Let's do a few practical things as we close out. First, play your part in fasting and longing. If medically possible, we want you to take a day of fasting. We don't want you to do that as a religious exercise. We don't want you to do that so that anybody sees or knows. We're not checking up on it. But we want you to take part in this because we believe it's a time as a church, a defining time as a church. What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of individuals are we going to be? Are we going to be gospel people? And so we're going to ask you to fast with us. We felt led of the Lord to call the church to a fast, not just a religious exercise. And play your part in fasting and longing. Do a TV and a media fast. I'd encourage you to have at least one week, nothing less. Unplug. You might find that instead of paying attention to everybody around you, there's some human beings right in front of you that God will use you to encourage and strengthen and help and love and bless. You might just find that the world that you can't touch, that's way out there, becomes a world you can. And you might find you're sitting around the dinner table with a group of friends or a coffee shop with a group of friends, and you realize this shocking thing. There's a human body and a human soul with a human mouth and a human heart sitting right in front of me versus an electronic one that I'm holding in my hands under the table while I'm sitting with my friends and family. Might be amazed. Wow, real people, real conversation. Might be a little awkward at first. Hadn't done it in a while. But you might be amazed at what God uses you to do when heart to heart, face to face, mouth to mouth, we share time with each other. Do your part in fasting and longing and then pray with fresh passion and diligence and aching and longing and pursuit. Second, prepare your heart for God to speak and act. Prepare your your heart for God to speak and act. God has sent you. He has sent you. You are a missionary and you are not working where you work by accident. And you are not living where you live by accident. And you're not doing the hobbies or your kids' hobbies that you're doing by accident. There is a sovereign God who has orchestrated every molecule of the world to put you where you are. Not for your kingdom. Not to be just a good person. To be a gospel good person who brings Jesus into the room with you. With both your lips. Don't neglect that, your lips and your life. So what is it that's getting in the way? What is it that's getting in the way of you hearing God speak and seeing God work in your life? What kind of busyness? What kind of distraction? What kind of sin? What kind of gaze-capturing, innocent thing is keeping you? It's distracting you. It's keeping you from hearing God's voice and seeing God act. Last one. Be ready to serve and share. 
Be ready to serve and share. That might mean some intentional preparation and training for you. We're going to work on that throughout the course of the year. That might mean that you simply slow down your life a little bit and put some margin there. It might mean that you're just walking in and out of the office or walking in front of the secretary or walking in front of waitresses. And it might just be that you stop long enough to look at a human being in the eyes and see, follow the conversation where it goes versus passing them by in a rush. But prepare your heart for that. Be ready to serve people with the gospel and be ready to share. So it might just start like, God, every single day, God, prepare my heart. I want to be a witness. God, would you give me specific opportunities with people today? God, I will do. I will say. I will act however you tell me to. might just start every day that way and see what happens. Let's pray. So, Father... We don't ache enough, we don't long enough, we don't yearn enough. But we want to, Father. And even those parts of our heart that don't want to, would you just come and make us want to? Would you conquer every single corner of our hearts by your grace? Would you give us a love for people and a love for Jesus and a love for your gospel? God, would you water a garden in the middle of someone's soul today? because they're sitting in a desert? Would you shine light on somebody's soul today because they're sitting in darkness? Would you restore the hope of flourishing that comes because we know you and we know your gospel and you've never left us once and you've never forsaked us? God, would you do that? Father, would you move in this church because we don't want to just be a church that is loving. We are. We don't want to just be a church that's generous. We are. We don't want to be a church that just loves each other. We are. We don't want to just be a church that God looks into your word and loves it. We want to be a church that loves your word and loves people because we love you and we love your gospel. You've got to do that, Father. We can't do it on our own. We're asking you to do it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.